Hello and welcome, welcome, welcome. This is What Sports with your host, Mike Jones. I am here today. You know what? Let's just get straight into it. Denver Broncos, 0-2 start so far this season. A couple of very winnable games. Uh, Week 1 against the Raiders. Week 2, what a disappointing finish to that game. Talk about highs and lows you have a game against the Bears where the Broncos drive down the field, do a great two-minute offense situational game plan there, get the touchdown, okay? Get the touchdown. We're down by one. Send the offense back out there to go for two. End up getting a delay of game penalty. So that drives us back. We decide to try to kick the extra point. Miss the extra point. But there's a flag again. Offsides on the Bears. So, with that penalty, decide, hey, let's try this two-point conversion thing again. And we get it. 30 seconds left to go in the game, and we just took a one-point lead. And the Bears only have one timeout. You would think this is in the bag. With the way the uh, Broncos' defense played the majority of the game against this lackluster Bears offense, you would think 30 seconds in the bag. No, no. We want to leave somebody wide open on a fourth and very long to get them right to the edge of field goal range. And they kick a 53-yard field goal to win the game. People who betted on this game, the, the line when, uh, when I did some picks uh, was pl- bear or uh, Bears minus two, and they won by two, complete push in this game. Just the, the high and the low and that emotional roller coaster at the end of that game, my God. The storylines... Out of this game, though, I mean, it's hard for Garrett Bowles not to have been a storyline. Uh, got three, four, five holding calls on him. I believe there was only three accepted, but there was multiple that were declined. Garrett Bowles, he is not a left tackle, and this is something that's becoming painfully obvious to see with the... Uh, <laughs> The abundance of holding calls on him. He just cannot move his feet quick enough, clearly, to handle these outside speed rushes that are getting thrown at him. But that's just one thing that is worrying me about the Broncos so far this season. All right, some other things that are bothersome so far this season when we're talking about the Denver Broncos is the lack of a running game. Through two games, total Freeman, Lindsey, and you can throw Flacco and fans who have gotten carries as well, technically, uh, 185 yards. So 92.5 yards a game, which is not great. But then you look at the average. As a team averaging 3.9 yards per carry, just under 
four yards a carry. And four is kind of that, that that's that mark. Four, you're doing all right. You you want to be up at like 4.5, you know. Four, you're doing okay. But this is this is supposed to be the strength of the Broncos offense coming into this year. Especially looking at what the Broncos were able to do rushing the ball last season. The great effectiveness of a Philip Lindsay. Philip Lindsay on the season is averaging 3.3 yards a carry. Royce Freeman has been is doing better, but he's he's uh bullied by a long run of 26, or else he'd be down about down right about four yards a carry. Uh, in, in the receiving game, Sutton had a great first game. Uh, he came back down to earth a little bit. They, I feel like he was actually paid a bit better attention to, not to mention we were going up against a much better defense in week two against the Bears. Two touchdowns on the season through two games. Two touchdowns. One touchdown a game is not going to get it done in the NFL. Both touchdowns, Emmanuel Sanders was the recipient of on a passing play. Right. The good side of things, the defense, yardage-wise, has been effective. We've given up only 379 yards through the air. That's less than 200 yards per game through two weeks. I mean, we're not going up against great offenses to really test us. Uh, Mitch Trubitsky is not a is not a great quarterback. But I digress. Defense yardage wise and and, and points wise for most part have been has been doing good this season. But two of the biggest indicators of the a dominance of a defense. And the kind of dominance that you would need if you're going to win games with the type of offense the Broncos have put onto the field so far this season is sacks and turnovers. All right. Zero sacks on the season. Going up against the Raiders and the Bears. I mean, Raiders offensive line is all right in run blocking. It's a good run blocking line. Has been a bad line as far as pass protection goes in previous seasons. Zero sacks. Going up against the Bears, okay? Their offensive line, not very good. Zero sacks. And zero interceptions through two games. Zero turnovers in general. No fumbles either. So this is a team that's not creating pressure on the quarterback and is not forcing turnovers. If you're only going to be putting up 16 points, let's say, a game, you got to be you got to be creating that kind of impact plays defensively. This week, the Broncos will be going up against the Green Bay Packers. All right. Now the Packers have Aaron Rodgers. This will be the toughest test. For this team so far this season. They actually got a running game going last week against Minnesota. Aaron Jones is averaging 4.3 yards a carry on the ground. And he is he is by far their lead back there in Green Bay. Devontae Adams has 11 catches for 142 yards on the season. Jimmy Graham was quiet week two. But 
this is Jimmy Graham. He is a beast, and with how the Broncos can't cover tight end, IEC Week 1, Waller from Oakland. This is not a good matchup for the Broncos. The Packers have given up on the season six sacks on Aaron Rodgers, so three sacks a game. Is Denver going to be able to get a sack? I have my doubts with what I've seen so far. Now, I have faith this defense is going to be improving. It's a, it's, it's a new scheme for Vic Fangio installing there than what they've been running with Woods and Vance Joseph the last few seasons. And it is, it's going to be better. But there's a learning curve, clearly. The, the, on both ends, from the coaching standpoint and from the player standpoint. Because when you have two of the best pass rushers and what should be the most dynamic pass rush duo in the league when you're talking about Chubb and Miller, zero sacks through two games is unacceptable. There should be, there should be a sack in this game, but when you're going up against Aaron Rodgers, I'm not going to promise that. Because Aaron Rodgers, he can... He can get that ball out quick. All right. You look at the Denver Broncos coming up. All right. We play the Packers. Honestly, at this point, I don't see us winning that game. It's in Lambeau. Then we play the Jaguars. Now, Jaguars offensively, that's going to be a low-scoring game. Okay. Jaguars offensively against the Broncos defense, Probably not going to be a lot going on there. We'll see on the flip side of things with Ramsey wanting out of there. Then there's the Chargers. Then the Titans. Then the Chiefs. Then the Colts. Then the Browns. Then the Vikings. Then the Bills. Then the Chargers. Then the Texans. I mean, I don't see... I I, I, I don't see a game where the Broncos are going to be favored really until maybe maybe the last couple weeks of the season once you get past the Jaguars Jaguars that that could be a good game but after that I see a bunch of L's for the Broncos the way they've been playing especially on offense so far last couple weeks Lions and Raiders is it time to start talking about Bloa Fortua or be deliberate for Herbert. Because until we find a solution on offense, and that solution has got to start at the quarterback position, this Broncos team isn't going far. This defense is not carrying this team to the playoffs. Not this season. Maybe maybe next year, but I, I doubt it because of the lack of depth that we've been able to put in place in Denver due to bad draft classes. The, the lack of talent up front offensively on the offensive line, i.e. Garrett Bowles, unless we try to move him into guard, might be the best thing for him this year. Bad offensive line play translates to bad offensive play because you can't do much if you don't have the big boys up front 
creating that space for your running backs, giving your quarterback time, especially when your quarterback is Joe Flacco, who cannot run. I came into the season, honestly, with some hope because of this defense. But I underestimated the learning curve that was going to be in place for both the coaching staff and these players to really get this defense into a position where they can carry this team. Maybe this, maybe it'll happen next year. You know what? There's some other movements and some other injury news, big time injury news happened this last week in the NFL. Let's talk about that. Big time quarterbacks. For the Saints, Drew Brees went down with a uh, torn ligament in his thumb. They say he's going to be out probably at least six weeks. Uh, Looking at their schedule for the Saints, they play the Seahawks and the Cowboys the next couple of weeks. Those will be tough games to win without Drew Brees back there. But then once you're done with that, you got the Bucks, the Jaguars, the Bears, the Cardinals. Those are all very winnable games with the absence of Drew Brees. Speaking of the absence of Drew Brees, though, right now, Teddy Bridgewater is scheduled to get the start. Uh, I'm not a huge Teddy Bridgewater fan. Taysom Hill is also there in uh, New Orleans. And Sean Payne in the past has spoken really highly on Hill. I think I would like to see Hill get the starts down there. I The different elements he brings to a game with his athleticism, and we haven't really been able to see how he is at throwing the ball because usually when he's in, it's the it's a kind of a wildcat sort of deal. He's usually running the ball or he's out wide as like a wide receiver and catching the ball because this Taysom Hill, he is an athlete. If you are going to be without the precision of a Drew Brees, might as well add another dynamic to your offense to try to keep it afloat and not just keep it afloat, but possibly be very successful in chewing the clock. They have a good defense down there. Uh, and if they end up making a trade that I'll get onto in a minute, uh, they could have a really good defense down there. So with that, if you're able to just chew up the clock, which with the run game, they could have the, dy- the dynamicness of having a Taysom Hill and a Kamara back there. And that speed between those two back there. You should be able to chew up a lot of clock. You may may not be winning shootouts necessarily, but I, with that defense, I don't think you necessarily would need to win shootouts. Being able to chew up clock, move the ball efficiently, I think are things you can do better with Taysom Hill. Bridgewater may be the more accurate quarterback, but I'm not ready to say that either because I haven't really been able to see Taysom Hill throw the ball yet. Something to keep an eye on. I wonder if maybe Sean Payton is just wants another week 
to kind of install and get a game plan together that is better for Hill and being able to run an offense through him primarily. And maybe he just wants a little more time to get that put together. Time will tell. Another big injury, though, is Ben Roethlisberger went down for the Steelers. This is a elbow injury, and he is done for the season now. The, the Steelers, they aren't, they aren't going anywhere. I mean, they are without now Antonio Brown, without Le'Veon Bell, without Ben Roethlisberger, Unless this ends up being a scenario for them, kind of like what happened with uh, Maddox there. And then Ben Roethlisberger comes in, and he ends up winning a Super Bowl as a rookie there in Pittsburgh. I don't see that happening with this team. I am kind of a Mason Rudolph fan. I'm not sure if he's a polished enough product at this point to go in and lead them to victories consistently. So I don't think Pittsburgh is going to be making the playoffs this year. But in that quarterback room, another interesting interesting name, especially from us here in Denver, Paxton Lynch was signed to the Pittsburgh Steelers. So looking at it, it kind of seems like it's possible that Paxton Lynch, if anything happens to Rudolph, you know, even a cramp he has to come out for a play, it's going to be Paxton Lynch in Pittsburgh. I was always kind of a fan. I, fan might be a strong word. I was always kind of disappointed that Paxton Lynch wasn't given more of a shot here. Because when you when you bring in a quarterback such as that, if you are competent coaching staff, you put a scheme around and you put your quarterback in a position to succeed. I never felt like that was that happened here in Denver. So it'd be interesting to see what happens going forward in Pittsburgh. Uh, it's Rudolph's job. Right now, though, hands down. I spoke of a trade a little bit ago uh, that would help out these Saints and take them possibly to another level there. Jalen Ramsey is upset and wants out. He wants out of Jacksonville. Uh, I guess he and Doug Marone got into a tift, if you will, on the sideline there in Jacksonville and he is he's he's done with the franchise. He will continue to play for them, but he would like out. I would be surprised if there's not a move done this week or next to get him out. And one I have two landing spots that I have in mind for him. First off is the Saints. Especially after losing Drew Brees you're going to need to rely a little bit more on that defense. And you add that kind of presence on the outside in a Jalen Ramsey who can basically just take out the opposing team's best wide receiver. That defense could get to another level 
And then Drew Brees comes back. If Drew Brees, once he gets back into his rhythm, now he'll be kind of rested. His arm won't have the the kind of fatigue on it that it did at the end of the last season. The Saints can be a very dangerous team come play. I mean, they will either way, but you add a Jalen Ramsey in there with this team that is in a win-now mode, a Super Bowl roster as composed right now, that would be dangerous. The other team, if I'm going to pick an AFC team, it's going to be the Kansas City Chiefs. One, they are in a win-now mode as well. That defense needs a lot of work, too. And also, Patrick Mahomes is still on his rookie contract. That, that's a lot. That, that, that is a big help when you're trying to construct a team when you're not having to pay these massive contracts to the quarterback position. Jalen Ramsey comes in there, finishes out this year. Maybe he gets restructured and re-signed there long-term taking advantage of the contract Mahomes is under. Another thing that I like for this, for especially for the Chiefs, though, is it's Jacksonville is asking for two first-round picks. This is, this is partially because Fitzpatrick, when he wanted out and demanded out in Miami, the Pittsburgh Steelers, for some reason, this made no sense to me, gave up a first-round pick for Fitzpatrick. When you're in when you're in a position where you're not going anywhere and you're going there fast, giving them a first round pick for a corner didn't make any sense to me. But with that precedent set, the Jacksonville Jaguars are asking now for two first round picks, which which makes sense because Jalen Ramsey is a lot better than Fitzpatrick. So the price to get him should be more. It's just skewed because of the fact that the Steelers gave up way too much to the Dolphins. But how this applies to the Chiefs is the Chiefs is a young team. You know, they have a young quarterback. They got young wide receivers. They got young up on the defensive front. So... If you're going, if a team's going to give up two first-round picks, a team that already has young stars on their team, especially when you're going to add another young star in Jalen Ramsey, that's the kind of situation that would make the most sense to me. Taking a look at the NFL standings, uh, Pittsburgh Steelers are at 0 and 2. So I guess and. They're not going anywhere fast. You're going to have the Patriots coming out of the East. You're going to have the Ravens, it looks like, coming out of the North. The Texans is going to be my bet coming out of the South. And then, let's say the Chiefs coming out of the West, winning that division. And then you're going to have the Chargers is going to be a, is my lock for a wild card spot. That second wild card spot where is where it's going to be interesting. This is part of why the Steelers, I, I don't think they're going to be in that race. Okay. You have the Buffalo Bills are right now playing like they deserve to be in that race. They are 2-0. and Tennessee Titans? I, I, this looks like a three-team race for that, third, for that second wild card spot because you have the Browns. All these expectations coming into the season, they have not looked great so far. That offensive line is a problem for them offensively. So could this be the year of the Bills 
getting into the playoffs. Josh Allen has looked good up in Buffalo. And this is a quarterback that I I was kind of hoping last year they would have pursued and they would have taken. I mean, I'm Chubb is going to be a great player for the Broncos long term, but it wasn't necessarily a position of need like quarterback was a position of need. And Josh Allen has looked good in two road games down against the two New York teams in the Jets and the Giants. And he's he's put a stamp on Buffalo being the team in New York. The team in New York. And honestly, it doesn't even seem all that close between the Bills, the Jets, and the Giants. Quick note on the Jets, though. Another former Bronco quarterback, Trevor Simeon, got the start for him when Sam Darnold had mono. And it looks to be out for a couple more weeks. But unfortunately for Trevor Simeon, he went down with what appears to be a very serious leg injury in that game. He won't be back for them this season. So it's going to be, they're, they're down to their third string quarterback there in New York. And with Darnold missing a couple more weeks from reports, not looking good for the Jets. All right. We looked at the AFC playoffs and the standings there. Let's take a quick look over at the NFC since we started that already. Um, so looking at the NFC East, I say that both the Cowboys and the Eagles are going to make it out of there. The NFC South Saints are going to end up winning that division. NFC West, we're going to have the Rams and the Seahawks coming out of there, although the 49ers are off to a surprising start. Uh, not so much surprising in the fact that they're 2-0, and but surprising in how good they've looked doing it. Averaging 36 points a game with a plus 38-point differential. Might be a team to keep an eye on. Uh, but with this, only one team's going to end up coming out of the North, in my estimation. Preseason, I would have said it was the Minnesota Vikings. Right now, the Green Bay Packers have been looking like the best team in that division. That could be a race to watch coming down the stretch there. Green Bay did beat Minnesota in their early season matchup. So there are uh, there are nine teams without a win so far this season. The Denver Broncos are one of them. Uh, Pittsburgh Steelers, that, that's not going to continue. The Bengals, I've liked what I've seen from that offense. They will get a win. New York Giants, they will get a win. Saquon Barkley is special at the running back position. The Redskins, they're, they're not... They're not good by any stretch, but they're good enough to get a win at some point. The Jets, especially when Sam Darnold gets back, they should be able to get a win. Carolina Panthers will keep an eye on what's going on with Cam Newton there. But again, they have they have other pieces in place. They have McCaffrey, for instance. They will be getting some wins this season. But that leaves the Dolphins the Jaguars, and the Broncos as three teams without a win right now that could keep on going in that direction. The Dolphins the Dolphins got a head start on this. They started going winless in the before the season even began. They, they are going hard. 
I'm assuming for Tua. Because 0-16 not only looks possible for the Miami Dolphins, it looks likely for the Miami Dolphins. With the Jaguars, especially with what has been going on, uh, obviously an outsider's point of view, but there looks to be a lot of tension and a lot of turmoil in that building. So they could be in competition for a top three type of pick. And then the Denver Broncos, as much as I don't want to be saying this, I'm going to be saying this, they can be looking at a top five pick. They could be looking at a two and 14 season right now, which I mean, if I, if I'd really thought about it, I guess I should not necessarily have been surprised because when you change over coaching staffs, there's there's definitely a learning curve with that. And then you add the fact that we are coming off of um, a, a lot of the foundation of this team is based on bad draft classes, bad draft classes. So at some point, there's going to be some injuries. It, it's football. It's inevitable. And the Broncos don't have the pieces to really step into those positions without a pretty significant drop-off. So the Broncos could be looking at a high draft pick, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Now, a friend of mine, Phil, is Phil's the guy who's the big Trevor Lawrence fan. And I'm a big Trevor Lawrence fan as well as far as what he's able to do on the football field, but he's not going to be coming out in this coming year's draft. All right. We're going to have two, maybe three really good quarterback prospects in this coming draft. Tua right now, probably slated as a number one overall pick. And then the other guy who is more of a, fit as far as what the Broncos tend to look for at the quarterback position is Justin Herbert out of Oregon. He's six foot six, 237. He's got a strong arm. Obviously not as mobile as a Tua, but more mobile than Jake Fromm, who's probably the number three quarterback prospect right now out of Georgia. Justin Herbert would be the guy that I would probably target because I'm assuming Tua is not going to be on the board whenever the Broncos pick, because there's the Broncos aren't getting that number one overall pick. At some point, they will win a game this season. I'm just, I'm just not uh, hopeful for more than just four of those with what I've seen so far. So keep that in mind going forward with this season that. With how it's looked so far, yes, it's discouraging, but there is a couple of really good quarterback prospects coming out in this coming year's draft, and quite frankly, I'm not sold on Glock. The contract restructuring they did with Flacco made no sense to me. I'm not a Joe Flacco fan, so I think the Broncos could be looking seriously at Justin Herbert in this coming year's draft. And with how this season has gone off to a start, it is a good possibility that they might be in position to pursue a Justin Herbert 
You know, let's use this as a transition to get into some college football. Overall, a disappointing week for your Colorado teams, but we'll get into that. Let's start off here looking at the Colorado Buffaloes. This past week, disappointing loss to Air Force. They were able to climb their way back into that game against Air Force, sent the game into overtime. They just could not stop that triple option attack from Air Force that that really all the academy schools and, and Georgia Tech run. And it's, it's something you don't see a lot of. So when you do come up against it, it's hard to adjust and make plans for that and be able to stop that consistently. First play from scrimmage in overtime. Caden Rimsberg scored a 25-yard run. And as you may know, in college football, for overtime, the ball starts on the 25-yard line. This was the first play from scrimmage in overtime, and Air Force scores. Colorado was not able to answer and lost that game 30-23. to In this game, though, they were finally able, probably, probably it's safe to say, through a bit of necessity to get LaVisca Chenault more involved in this game plan. LaVisca ended with eight catches for 124 yards and a touchdown, also carried the ball three times for 25 yards, so 11 touches for him. Still probably a little on the light end for somebody of his talents, but still, it, it the production was there more so than it had been in the past. Donald Hammond for Air Force, another Colorado school, so we'll touch on that a bit. Threw the ball 12 times in this game. He only threw the ball once in week one. So this this is a big, big uh, step forward for him. But uh, not super efficient. Seven of 12. He did throw up two touchdown passes. Hit Benjamin Waiters two times for 92 yards in that game. But speaking for CU, that's my uh, that's my college team right there. They were getting they were getting votes to get into the top 25 coming into this game. And after coming off a come from behind nice win against Nebraska in uh week 2 and beating CSU week 1 relatively handedly pulling away in that game late. They were getting top 25 consideration. I expect them to get back into that top 25 consideration. It's going to be a tough matchup for them, though, this week. They are going to be taking on Arizona State in this game. Uh, Daniels for them, uh, for Arizona State, is 47 of 77, 728 yards and three touchdowns. He is somebody who you definitely need to watch out for in the run game, especially. Uh, Their lead back, Benjamin, only has 209 yards uh, through the game, which is the same amount as Fontenot, but Fontenot has three touchdowns and has a better per carry average. Arizona State is 3-0 on the season, coming off a win against Michigan State. That was a great game to watch this past weekend. They are 3-0, like I said. They climbed up into the top 25. They are ranked 24th in the country. So a win against them would be 
would would be huge for the program down in Boulder. Uh, points per game. Arizona State's only giving up 19.7 points per game this season. I would expect the Buffaloes to be able to put up more than that. But this defense for Arizona State is legit. Going to be a game I would definitely suggest watching this weekend, especially if you're a Pac-12 fan such as I am. It will be a good game and a game that will definitely impact the Pac-12 going forward. Actually, talking about rankings and stuff, there's some interesting things to note about that. We'll get into that in a minute. But let's talk about Air Force real quick, the team that, fortunately for them, beat the Buffaloes in uh, their second game of the season. Interesting fact, Air Force is undefeated. Navy is undefeated. Army's only loss is to Michigan. That was in double overtime. Army's actually getting a lot of, um, got a good amount of votes to get into the top 25 this week. So the academy schools are off to a good start this season. Air Force beat Colgate week one, 48 to seven. And then of course, just went over the CU game. Their next opponent is actually Boise State, ranked 20th in the country. The Mountain West has had a good start to the season, especially against Power 5 opponents. So it's looked good for the Mountain West. Overall for the Mountain West, though, Boise State winning this game is probably better for the conference. Boise State is the only team that I think has a legitimate shot of trying to get into that top 10. I'm not going to say sit here and say that they have a shot of making the playoffs. I don't think there is enough respect for them on the national platform for them to make that. But this is going to be a big game in regardless for both Air Force and the Mountain West, two of the better teams in the conference going head-to-head Friday night. Uh, at 7. That game is actually going to be on ESPN2. Definitely going to be a game that I want that I will be watching. Unfortunately, I have to work, so it's going to be uh, it's going to be something where I try to watch while working, and that never really works out for me. Then Colorado State took on Arkansas. Took on an SEC opponent this past week. In this game, they end up losing by 21. But with about eight minutes to go in the fourth quarter, this was actually a tie game, 34-34. Colorado State beat Arkansas last season. So there is precedent for this. But late in that game, Arkansas ends up pulling away. There was a pass that was to their tight end, uh, Cheyenne O'Grady. He ended up breaking like six tackles, busting out of two, two crowds, really, and going for... Uh, 62 yards and a touchdown to give him the lead. And then late in that game as well, there was a fumble that Arkansas's defense returned for a touchdown. So although they won by 21, this was a lot closer of a game in CSU's favor than what that final score indicates. Um, Dante Wright had another good game. Not quite as great as he has been, but you're going up against a higher caliber of defense in Arkansas than you did in either of the first two weeks. 
Four catches, 97 yards in a touchdown form. Also carried the ball two times, not only for five yards, though. This is a guy that really is really exciting to watch. Uh, Marvin Kinsey also had a really nice game in this. He had a 75-yard touchdown run on the second play from scrimmage in this game. 20 carries, 180 yards, and a touchdown. So this is two weeks in a row. The week before, Dante Wright on the first play, 75-yard touchdown. This past week against Arkansas on the second play, 75-yard touchdown. So this Colorado State offense has a lot of firepower and a lot of quick strike ability. They're in the Mountain Division with Boise State, so they are probably not winning and going. They're probably not going to be making that conference, that conference title game, but will be interesting to watch them see if they can get up to that that six seven wins maybe get themselves a bowl game this year their next opponent though is going to be Toledo all right so they have Toledo Utah State San Diego State New Mexico they have very winnable games coming up on their schedule the toughest part of their schedule has probably been passed until you get into the last three weeks of the season where they play Air Force, Wyoming, then Boise State. So it should be a good stretch for Colorado State. Should be able to string together some wins here, and that will be, hopefully that will add some excitement to their crowds there in Fort Collins and get get some buzz going around northern Colorado here. Next, we will be talking about the rankings. All right. So the top 25, there was not a lot of movement in the top 25. Clemson, Alabama, Georgia, LSU, Oklahoma, Ohio State, Notre Dame, Auburn, Florida, the top nine, no movement. Utah, Pac-12, got into the top 10, swapping places with Michigan this past week. Now, what I wanted to talk about with this that is interesting is the Pac-12 is actually tied with the SEC for the most teams in the top 25. Both conferences have six teams in the top 25. The Big Ten is right behind them with five. Now, the SEC obviously has the advantage when it comes to average rank, considering they have three of the top four and five in the top nine. But I just found this interesting considering how much the Pac-12 lately has gone trashed on for being a not power conference school. When you look at them and then you look at, say, the ACC, who only has two teams in the top 25, granted, one of them's Clemson, who is the favorite to win the national championship this year. But when you're talking about the power of a conference, it's not just about who was at the top. It's from top to bottom. And from top to bottom, not a deep, conference they have Clemson they have Virginia Uh, Maryland was putting up a bunch of points and they kind of crapped themselves this past week so it's not a very deep conference unlike the Pac-12 a couple schools that I like to talk about because I outside of you know CU in the Pac-12 I am a fan of the underdogs of the smaller schools right now there are two group of five schools in the top 25 there's UCF at 15 
and there is Boise State at 20. UCF started off their season with a couple of Florida schools, Florida A&M and Florida Atlantic, beat up on them. This past week, they played Stanford, was able to get the win there. They were they were handedly in control of that game at halftime uh, and let their foot off the pedal lit a little bit. The final score ended up being 45-27 to 27 in that game. That was probably their biggest test of the season. I'm hopeful, you know, if they went out, that they'll at least get the respect to be able to be put into the top 10, uh, maybe approaching the top five. We'll see what happens with other schools. Uh, With the consistency of them winning and going undefeated the last two seasons, including a couple years ago, a win in a bowl game against an SEC opponent. I would hope that they've earned enough respect for that program to be put above one-loss teams from other conferences, even though they're not from a Power 5 conference, but time will tell. The other school is Boise State, ranked 20th in the country. Mountain West, like I said, has been doing actually really well on a national stage against power five schools. So if they continue to win, I hope to see a higher ranking coming forward from them. Not to mention they have a long history of being a powerhouse, if you will, from a group of five conference. They play air force this week. As we said before, they also play uh, Wyoming this season and CSU this season. But Florida State, week one, that ACC opponent, that's probably the biggest feather in the cap for Boise State when it comes time to them trying to make a a big bowl game at the end of the season. I'm not sure, even if they went undefeated, I'm not sure how high, what their ceiling is. If they went undefeated, I would hope they could make it into the top 10. But time will tell on that in the top 25 though there is a game that will be really interesting to watch georgia is going to be taking on notre dame this coming week georgia hasn't really played much of anyone so far this season so for them to be able to go up against number seven notre dame so this is a three seven matchup this is going to be in georgia it'll be fun to actually see competition and an actual actual game that will tell us something about these schools that have these these top end rankings coming into the season part of me hopes that Notre Dame goes in there and just beats down on Georgia because Georgia's an SEC school and quite frankly I'm not an SEC fan but then another part of me hopes that Georgia beats down Notre Dame because Notre Dame is not in a conference. The only teams that should be independents, in my opinion, should be the academy schools because they have to recruit totally different than everybody else because they can only bring in, they have to go and recruit kids that are willing to sacrifice more of themselves. Because once you're done there, you have a commitment to the armed forces. 
So the type of talent and the the pool that you're recruiting from is completely different if you're doing an academy school as opposed to Notre Dame. Notre Dame can go out and recruit anyone they want. There is no reason Notre Dame should be outside of a conference. They have the same opportunities afforded them. The only schools that should be independent should be the academy schools. But I digress. That's enough football talk for now. We're going to go into baseball. The season is wrapping up. There is a couple races to keep an eye on right now. As far as for division, the only one that's really all that close is the National League Central. St. Louis has the lead in that right now. Cubs and Brewers are two games back in the division. The St. Louis Cardinals, though, they have a relatively easy schedule coming forward. (laughs) Just kidding. It's going to be a schedule that has a huge impact on them because they are going to be playing the Chicago Cubs seven times, seven times left on their schedule. And that is seven out of 11 games, including today. So that race is still a lot, a lot up in the air based on the remaining schedule here. The Cubs, of course, have the Cardinals seven games left on their schedule, and they have the Pirates in the middle of that. St. St. Louis has the Diamondbacks in the middle. Diamondbacks coming off of uh, what was a surprisingly good season for them. So I still think the Cubs are very much alive to win this. That is going to be a great matchup, especially since the last three games of the season are Cardinals-Cubs. That could be a great series to watch because this this might still be on the line for the National League Central. The Brewers, on the other hand, has probably the easiest schedule remaining out of them. Uh, A couple games against the Padres, three-game series against the Pirates, uh, three games against the Reds, and then ends up the season with three games against the Rockies. Unfortunately, the Rockies are having a bad season. Uh, Weirdly enough, they've actually had a really good last couple of weeks, but it's a lot of too little too late for the Colorado Rockies. Yeah, they uh, they sw- they took two out of three against St. Louis. They swept the Padres. They beat the Mets on Monday. They're going through a, for them this season, a hot stretch for the Colorado Rockies. But I digress. St. Louis, Chicago, that series at the end of the season is going to be huge. Milwaukee is definitely shorthanded, but they have the easiest schedule going forward to try to win that division. Then if you go over and we look at the wild card, though, that is probably in the National League. You have Washington a game and a half up on the Cubs and Milwaukee. So that Cardinals-Cubs matchup is not only going to be huge in that race in the National League Central, for their division, it's going to be huge for the wild card as well. 
Washington right now has the game and a half up on both those teams. But like he said, the Brewers have quite an easy schedule going forward, and the Cardinals and the Cubs are going to be up a lot on each other down the stretch. The Nationals have a relatively hard, uh, actually kind of a hard schedule. They have five games left against the Phillies and three games against the Indians. I mean, they also have another game against the Cardinals today and a series against the Marlins. And basically any team from Miami is trying to tank hard, it seems like right now, whether it's the Dolphins or the Marlins. So they're kind of pushovers. That won't be much of a series, especially with what Washington has on the line to try to win and get that wild card spot. They're not catching Atlanta. As far as the National League goes, the Dodgers, they have a five-game lead over Atlanta for home field advantage in the playoffs, that number one seed. Dodgers probably aren't giving that up. Atlanta has a commanding lead over whoever ends up winning the National League Central to have home field in that first round matchup. When we look over at the American League, it is Niv and Tuck, Houston and New York, speaking of the Yankees, are tied for the best record in the national or in the American League. And quite frankly, that's probably going to be the matchup that we see later in October when it comes to the ALCS. In the American League wildcard race, it's really Tampa Bay and Cleveland. Tampa Bay has a half-game edge for that second wildcard spot in the American League. Oakland does have two games up on both of them, and I expect Oakland to hold on to that. When it comes to Tampa Bay, though, they have a tough stretch they have, a, they have a game against the Dodgers today, a four-game series against the Red Sox. Disappointing season for them, but that's still a dangerous team. And then two games against the Yankees. They finish up against the Blue Jays. For the Indians, a lot easier schedule. They have a couple games left against the Tigers, three games against the Phillies. Talk about a disappointing season considering all the hype and money they poured into it this offseason there in Philadelphia three-game series against the White Sox and then finish up against the Nationals. That'll be a big interleague matchup for the last series of the season considering both of these teams are trying to hang on for wild-card berths. Talked about the Phillies. Might this be a situation that was addition by subtraction considering the Phillies are going to be on the outside looking in and the Nationals are leading for the wild-card in the National League after losing out on what was supposed to be their best player and one of the best players in the league in Bryce Harper. You look at Bryce Harper's batting average, he has been far from the best thing going on in Philly. You know what other season is getting getting started? It's hockey season. The Avs actually started their preseason last night. Preseason hockey is getting going. Let's talk about that next. The Avs played last night. Was not a great game for them. But this does signal the start of the NHL season and that real hockey is right around the corner. 
So I just figured we'd go over some of the top stories from this NHL offseason. Uh, there is a lot of unsigned restricted free agents for your Colorado Avalanche. In particular, Miko Ranton is still unsigned. I still have a lot of faith that that's going to get done before the end of the season, but it is starting to get a little concerning considering it hasn't happened yet for him. The Avalanche have a lot of expectations coming into this coming NHL season, and quite frankly, Miko Rannon is important for such a thing. Also, Kunetsov, the Washington Capitals emerging star, got suspended uh, from the IIHF uh, basically for doing cocaine. And he's now seeks help through the NHL for his problem. We'll see what happens with him this NHL season and whether there is suspensions coming down from the NHL as well. Then you look at Nashville brought in Matt Duchesne this past year and got rid of P.K. Subban. A lot of change there in Nashville, or Smashville as they were you known by. But when you kind of, it's an oversimplification, but when you kind of trade out P.K. Subban for Matt Duchesne, can you really call yourself Smashville anymore? Matt Duchesne isn't hitting anybody. Florida Panthers go all in on Bob Roski, the goalie out of Columbia. They gave him a huge contract this offseason. They're going in all in on that because they feel like that's the missing piece for them going forward is that goalie. I mean, and it's it's hockey. Goalie plays a huge role on the success of your season. The Colorado Avalanche had a lot of a lot of excitement last season, and I, there's no reason to believe that that shouldn't carry over into this season. Miko Rantanen and Nathan McKinnon are two of the best young stars in the NHL. McKinnon might be he he's top three player in all of the ho- National Hockey League. It's going to be a lot of fun watching this season. I'm hoping that that dispute between Altitude and Comcast, DirecTV, and Dish kind of gets sorted out here soon because I am I want to be able to watch some hockey this fall and basketball for that matter. We'll probably talk about basketball next week because the preseason for them hasn't quite started. But that's all I got for you today. Um, I will be back and we will talk some more sports here shortly, so stay tuned. Talk to you next week.